Welcome to Walking After Foo, the album by album discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson, joined as always by my good friend and compatriot, Peter Kanigsberg. Compatriot. Ah, I At love this that. point, I think we have gone through the battles and fought the Foo. <laughs> and we've walked after them. And we've walked after them. And that is why I call you a compatriot. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing very well. I am super excited. We have made it to a milestone episode, episode nine of Walking After Foo. We're here to talk about Concrete and Gold, the 2017 release by the Foo Fighters. This is the last album in the discography before Medicine at Midnight coming out literally this Friday. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming out in like two, three days. Yeah. We have heard three songs, seen two music videos. I'm excited about it. I'm excited. We'll save our comments for then. Because today we are talking about what happened in 2017. Not that long ago. Not that long ago this album came out. Yet there's still a decent amount to talk about with it. Uh, First, let me just remind you all that you are listening to us on Music Unsubscribe. That is the network for all of our content. Uh, you found this episode, and we thank you for listening. You can finish. You can finish the entire series. Make sure you finish all that up before you get to episode ten. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Search us by Music Unsubscribed. Follow us on social media at Music Unsubpod, Twitter and Instagram. Keep the conversation going because we're in the home stretch, and now we are talking about concrete and gold. Andrew, give us a little background on this record. Absolutely. So we finished the Sonic Highways tour. St. Cecilia is released. They're looking for a new thing. Dave's looking for a new thing as he always is. He's coming up with ideas. He's like, oh, maybe we could record it. We could record the album live at like the Hollywood Bowl. Maybe we could do this same thing. We need to push the limits more and more and more. And Taylor Hawkins looks at him and says, can we just record an album like everybody else? Just the normal just go way. Go into a studio and like, you know, go home afterwards and then like come back the next day like a normal human being who's, you know, and he's like, huh, that's an interesting thing. We haven't done that in 10 years. <laughs> and that's exactly what they do. They go into a studio, not their own studio. They go to East West Studios in Hollywood and they get a new producer the pop producer greg kirsten greg kirsten known initially as a member of the bird and the bee the way that dave Grohl says that he discovered them by listening to their song again and again only to find out that greg kirsten became and still is one of the most popular producers to use for many of the most famous pop records in the world artists like sia and adele cite greg kirsten as their producer in their studio and now the Foo Fighters get their chance to work with Kirsten. Yes. Before he does that, though, he works out some initial songs by kind of getting, after they got out, they took like, I think a year or maybe like six months or so off. And Dave went to an Airbnb by himself and just sat down and record and just like made a bunch of demos. Something that uh, he hasn't done in a bit. And I think a lot of it was kind of built around what was happening in 2016 and 2017, you know, coming from a place of what, what are my kids doing in this? What, how do, how do they think? What do they feel? How, how do we move as a community forward as a lot of people did, but so they go into the studio with Greg Kirsten and they're in a real studio. And so that means that other people are around and, what that usually means for people like the Foo Fighters is that people are going to want to come and join in. This one has a bunch of collaborators, as some of the other ones do, but they're collaborators that you wouldn't expect for a Foo Fighters album. Yes. Yes. There's a lot more pop on this album and kind of moving forward in their style that it seems at this point, there's going to be a little bit more pop to their hard rock alternative sound. You have bunch of different musicians um some of them rock you have people like allison mosshart of the kills mm-hmm. you have people like justin timberlake doing some la la las <laughs> but we will we will jump to that 
uh, in a sec. This album is 11 songs. It is 48 minutes. It is pretty good. Honestly, it's, it's a, it took me a while to get there. I remember when this album came out, I was living in an apartment in New York, which is what I'm doing now because it's only been a couple of years, but I do remember when this record came out, I did not initially love it. I was probably a little bit more like leaning towards the heavier stuff. I think after St. Cecilia, I was hoping for a, a shift back towards an in your honor, wasting light style listening to it now i do i do like it a lot as the band describes it it is the heaviness of a motorhead and slayer with the pop and orchestration of a sergeant peppers or pet sounds sergeant peppers apropos because there is a sergeant pepper feature that is, that is very true. <laughs> uh, what's also cool about this album is that the cover art features a new Foo Fighters logo. First uh, one in yes. 20 years. Yes. You, we traditionally see the very scripted uh, double Fs, which to me always look backwards based on the first line of the F. It always looks like it's pointing the wrong direction. This time it is more of a square style turned on its, on its point with the Fs mirroring each other in a very cool way. So uh, there's a and, lot of, 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 of redoing now, yeah. 20 plus years into their history here in 2017. I do. I just to bring that, you know, logo up. I do love the album art for this one. We don't talk about album art. Not too lot, much, but not too much. Concrete and gold. It's very stark. It's a very like gray background for the concrete. And then the new Foo Fighters logo is the F's are in gold. So right. there's your concrete and gold. I did love that when they released this is the new um, I, I do I love a simplistic album cover. And so that was like a very like stark view. And I was like, okay, we're getting a new rebrand. It's gonna be cool. And I guess we did in a sense. We did very much yeah. so. Yeah. And it carried over even into their live shows. I believe around this time, Andrew, you and I had seen Foo Fighters, you and I specifically at Jones Beach here on Long Island. And that was an opportunity for us to see how that new brand and new look translated into the live shows, which was fantastic. You and another, our co-host Marissa went uh, to Cal jam to see them perform, I believe either that year or the year prior. Uh, So, you know, so we're, you're, you're seeing how Foo Fighters are developing into the, 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 not the dad rock band, but the dads of rock. If if you want to put it that way, they're leading the, they're leading the charge of rock and roll at this point. It's interesting. So I did actually get to see them on this tour three times. I saw them at Cal Jam 2017, uh, about a month or so after the album was released. Yeah. Album was released in September. That was October like 7th or so. I remember it being a couple days after Tom Petty died. They had, you know, that news had dropped. Mm -hmm. And then we saw them at Jones Beach in 2018, that summer. 2018. Yep. And then October again. 2018 uh, is when the second Cal Jam was. Yes. So seeing them three times on this tour, I got a sense of what their new tour style was, what the show was going to look like. And some of these songs really showed the, the grandness that you hear in some of these songs. You might normally would say, oh, that's just studio work and they do a new arrangement. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. You know, in during Echo Silence, the same thing happened 10 years prior where they brought a band on the road they brought you know they brought a violinist they brought rami they brought keyboards they brought you know strings on the road with them for that tour and they right. they scaled it back a little bit afterwards but this time they did something a little bit bigger than that so you know they they have backing they have backing singers they got like you know yep. three background singers that joined them they've they've got rami's officially a member you they know we taylor have taylor on a lift they put, they did, they put Taylor on a lift. He has a new song to sing. But before we get into that, why don't we start from the beginning of the album? Let's do it. T-shirt. This is a very short song. This is only a minute, 20 seconds of runtime. T-shirt is a very surprising opening, in my opinion. Um, Andrew, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well. But for me, it is it's kind of surprising how it starts the record. It's not a, it's not an opening that we've heard really since doll back yeah. on color in the shape. That, that's the first thing I thought when I heard it. Yes. It reminds me of doll. Also it's a short song, but it's 
bigger. It kind of hints to what's going to come in a almost classic rock feel of a prelude into a bigger song, into like a bigger piece of, you know, it's quiet, it's soft. There's like beauty and melody. And then there's loud heaviness, but what there's, you know, the big, you know, it's the intro to the, to the big, you know, back vocals and you've got the guitar solo. So you have a little bit of this, like, this is not quite rock opera, but it's rock opera influenced. Dave is, is towing the line between rock and rock opera so much lately. And he did say in interviews about this record, working with Greg Kirsten, he wanted this record to feel huge. And so T-shirt is, let, is, is letting you know that this will be huge. Yeah. It goes into track two, the first single from this record, Run. When this song first came out, I was super amped. I, w- I thought, oh man, you've got this. You know, beautiful guitar part that goes into the heavy core to the heavy verses. And I was like, oh man, great. We're gonna get this version of Foo Fighters again. And the 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 music video for it is very funny. It's them dressed as old men playing in a you know, rocking out in a retirement home, which is really funny. I do I do like this song, but it's one of those songs that I it like listening back to it for the last week or so the rest of the album has grown on me a lot more. And so I've gotten a better appreciation for where this, like this song like kind of feels like, okay, it's the least, it's the heavy Foo Fighters that we're used to, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's has enough to pull, but it has a very, very, very heavy verse, which I think is what really pulls to that Slayer meets, yes, you know, pet sounds yes. uh, description that they've come <laughs> up with. Yeah. I, the, the one thing that if I could criticize this song at all, I, I love it a lot, but the one thing I didn't like was the repetitiveness of the lyrics. I felt yeah. it, it brought you down too far with the same words and then brought you back up with the same chorus and so on and so forth. It's a fun, it, it's a fun song because the, the music video is fun. It's meant to be fun. And yeah, I it's think moshy it was, and heavy, but it was a good choice for the single, I think, because no, it, I agree. I think it has really strong production quality. It, it shows you in the chorus just how intense and heavy this can be. Mm-hmm. Heavy is, is the number one word I think Dave wants you to walk away with feeling this feeling on this record. And so I think run was a good example of that. It goes yeah. into track three, make it right. Which I think is great. It starts off with that, you know, uh, that hi hat groove from Taylor that and then that that riff really really grooves and i really like it it's it's cool it features one of our first uh i think it does feature our our first guest it does yes we have our friend justin jt justin timberlake (laughs) he's doing doing the background The la la la's. The story goes apparently that Dave and Greg were hanging out in the studio. Justin Timberlake was recording his own album, which I think was Man of the Woods at the time. That was what Mm -hmm. he was working on. And literally walked in and said, can I be on the record? And they looked at each other a little confused saying, how on earth do we put one of the biggest pop artists on the planet on a rock record? And they said, well, let's hide him in the la la la's. Let's see if anyone can figure that one out. And, uh, and he fits in there in a in a. I think they should have used way. him more. Oh, I thought why not? I I find it interesting because it's like that part is really just like a guitar break, and you've got the laws there, which is like it sounds cool and I like that, but it's like man, you could have you could have had him singing like backup vocals for like the entire like chorus, or you could have you know it'd be hilarious have him on a verse. But this is a great song. I they have not played it at least on the shows the three shows that I went to they didn't play it right but I would have loved that and but then again if they had played it at Cal Jam I would have been hoping that Justin would show up so well we've gotten a lot of cool features over time maybe JT will come up at some point in the near future it then goes into track four my favorite on the record the sky is a neighborhood what a great what a great song and you know, strong use of the background vocals, you know, you've got, which I think is the main reason why this song, which is the second single is, I think the main reason why they took like, you know, three vocalists with them on the road. Yeah. Which I think it's a great song. It is the definition of heavy. It's bluesy. It's intense and dark and a little bit swampy. It features a cellist, violinist, 
um, violist. Uh, I mean, it, you've got some orchestral in here as well. I'm a big fan of the crossover between classical and, and rock um, personally. So that's why I think this is probably my favorite on the record. It's, it's, it's also, a big, it's a big song. It's a gigantic song that I remember seeing some clips online from the Brit music awards of them performing in the same setup that they had in the music video where they're standing on top of this cabin with the star, the, the stars all around them screaming yeah. about how, you know, heaven is a big bang. Now I was actually, I want to ask you about what they mean in the song. Heaven is a big bang. Do you think they're talking about, cause we've had, had this conversation a lot about how, yeah. Recently, there are so many artists that we love that are unfortunately passing away. I don't, I, 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 the timeline is not with me right now, but major artists like Bowie, Prince, Tom Petty come to mind. I, I think, do you think they're I talking think about that at all? It could be. He could be, ref, there could be a little bit of it that is referring to, you know, the neighborhood being the, you know, the musicians around him. I mean, thinking back to, you know, right before 2016, you know, Lemmy died. Right, 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 right before, uh, you know, who he was a big fan. He spoke at his at his funeral. Yep. You know, that's another person who like you throw you start Lemmy kind of like kickstarts this whole, you know, we talk about David Bowie is the one who like disappears with Blackstar and takes takes all the joy with him. But, you know, Lemmy really kicks off this thing. And you, 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 like maybe he's thinking more about like these musicians. Maybe he is thinking a little bit about the musicians who are, you know, part of this you know, the, yeah. the sky of uh, the neighborhood of rock, of like rock musicians. These also, with. also, Brett, if you were listening, our guest from episode two, I have not forgotten about your beautiful conversation about the constellations and February stars. If we could have you back to talk about the sky as a neighborhood, there's another constellation I'm sure we'd be talking about. So we'll have to, we'll have to bring him back. Well, we are going to, we're going to bring him back when we talk about, uh, when we talk about the covers, right? We, yes. we, did, we did promise him we would. Medium rare as well. But, Yes. Uh, yes, The Sky's Neighborhood is an excellent one. Track number four. Track number five, La Dida. Also featuring uh, background vocals from Alison Mosshart of The Kills, who yep. also did some of the vocals on Sky's Neighborhood. Yes. I love this song. Uh, they did play it when we were, when I, the first time I was at Cal Jam. They, that, was the, that was the big one where they were like, oh, we're going to bring everyone you know all the people who played on it you know greg kirsten was there to play for the show alice mosshart was there because the kills were playing that day yep uh who also dave cause who does saxophone on this song he was also there which i think there is a saxophone mix there is a saxophone on la di da (laughs) this is a cool one i love the i love the bass riff that that kind of goes throughout and has this weird it feels like the groove is like off by like half a beat. Yeah, I don't know if you've like, as you're like, pl- as you're hearing it, you yeah, hear it feels the, like um, a little behind. Drum yeah. snare feels like it's a little off. Yeah. But, it, but it's really cool. Yeah. Like it's off in a good way. Kind of like makes it feel like it kind of grooves a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what they were going for here. This is in general, it's kind of a very pop oriented record. I think a lot of you guys kind of, you know, showing you that a little, a, yeah. a little bit. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Lottie Da yeah. as a follow up to Sky's Neighborhood. It goes into. I was also going to say, this is also the beginning of the B-side. This record was a three-sided LP. We've talked a lot. In most records, we talk about A-side and B-side. And I think we got to remember to keep keep discussing that. So the first four songs. So Sky is the Neighborhood ends the A-side. We're in the B-side with La Di Da. And that goes into Dirty Water. Interesting. Interesting how how they split it like that. It's it's an 11-track album. It's no larger than... um, wasting light so yeah. interesting how they do that but dirty water tell me your thoughts about dirty water dirty water is cool this is one that i think really kind of captures a lot of the essence of what they were trying to go for this one features uh the singer from uh the bird and the bee uh anara george in inara george i don't know how to pronounce her name she was also in, in attendance at the uh the cal jam 17 and they did play dirty water this was cool. It has, it definitely doesn't feel like, I remember first hearing it and being like, this is weird. This isn't Foo Fighters. This doesn't feel like Foo Fighters in the same way. Or like when it does, it feels, I like the beginning parts more, actually. Like when they go into the heavy part, it's cool. It's like, I, I do, I've grown to be like, oh, this is different. They're trying something different. It's a little more, not experimental, but they're experimenting yeah. in pop and in 
like softer ja- jazzy like there's that jazzy guitar solo I mean, that's you know? what Bird and the Bee kind of are. They, are. they are kind of jazzy when you listen to their music. So I hear it. I like it. I keep trying, Dave. Keep keep pushing the envelope. There, There's there's we areas do, of music need, that you have We need more yet. of it. If we yeah. wanted more of We're the here same, we would just listen to the same. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we continue on the B side with track seven. I think one of your favorites, Arrows. Arrows is a really cool song. I like the instrumental. It, I like that the guitar, the way that he and the, the drum like how that like kind of connects it fa- it sounds like something from a smashing pumpkins track in a good way mm. like the the instrumental has like something from like uh like the their 2007 release zeitgeist and i l- i love the chorus too the- you know what's interesting about this song too there's the subject matter it's about a woman and about a internal struggle of how to cope with the environment around her that is threatening to sort of bring her down and and affect her mental state. And there's been a lot of debate as to exactly who this is about, what woman is, is being talked about. It could be Dave's mom, Virginia, could be his wife, his kids, thinking about his daughters as they grow up. So it's it's got excellent musicality to it, but it's also got a really important message underneath. Yeah, very really, true. Really worth mentioning. So, so a a a, a well deserved listen is needed for for arrows. Yeah. Are we in the C side right now? We are not. We are on the last song of the B side with happily ever after. Zero hour. This is the acoustic uh, song of the record. If there had to be one, kind of sad in terms yeah. of its message, but I like it a lot. What do you think? I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, it's a little. Not not bummer, but like it definitely takes you into takes like you a takes you a little bit a little bit out of it. It takes yeah. you into like a kind of a sad like a it works as the end of the B side. You know, it's kind of work is oh, you know, you, you kinda you have stuff like arrows and then happy ever after. You know, you don't if like they feel jarring in a musical sense, but I think lyrically they make they kind of fit more they, together. They work together. It if I had one criticism of this entire album, it's it's this song, in my opinion. I think you could lift this out, and if it were written 10 years, 12 years earlier for Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace, it fits fantastically I think it does. I think in it does. that record. I agree. I do think it fits better on an, yeah. on the older record, and not because yeah. it's acoustic, because I, I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised to hear just Dave and a guitar, but yeah. I, I do agree that it doesn't necessarily feel like it belongs on this record yet it's still a very good song there is no bad song when it comes to foo fighters in our opinions and so so know that as we talk about this that's the next that's a song. Fair, fair point yes. the next song the next song beginning of the seaside yes the six minute 11 uh second song the longest on the record sunday rain we Sun- gotta talk about this there's a lot yes. to talk about about this, this is my favorite song on the record yes this song has there's a number of reasons why but I think the biggest thing that has to be discussed is this is sung by drummer Taylor Hawkins. Yes. Big deal. It is a new song. Every show he does sing. Typically there is a cover involved. Usually he does like an under pressure, but he also used to do cold day in the sun. And when you're the singer in a big band like this and you're you know, you've got another singer in there. You try to make sure they have something to sing. And after a while, I guess, Cold Day in the Sun, like as great as it is, does start to feel like, oh, this is the, this feels like the Ringo song, you know? Yeah. And then, so you write this and you want to pull that song out from feeling like a Ringo throw, like throwaway, not to, you know, Dis Ringo because I do love Ringo. We love you, Ringo. Uh, but you want to make, but you want to give him a song that feels like a McCartney song. You want to make him sound like a like a McCartney, a Wings track, like epic. Like you want to give him something that feels like it's worthy of being like, oh, we're not just giving the drummer a song. You want it to be like, oh yeah, where he's he's the guy who sings this awesome song. Yeah, he you gets know, his like, moment. Exactly, like like a Hotel California for. Uh, for Don Henley. Yes. Know? Yeah. Perfect example. But, but if you're gonna do a if you're gonna do a McCartney type song, 
you're going to have to have a McCartney type person on it. Who would be a good McCartney type person to have on a song like Sunday Rain? I don't know. But when Mm. you, but you, you know, you're going to have the drummer is going to sing. So who's going to drum? I mean, he could drum and he does drum live. Dave could drum, you know. Dave could. And, but like, you know, it doesn't feel right. You want to get that wings sound. You want to get that like, you know, wings McCartney sound. Authentic. Yeah. 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 Let's get Sir Paul on it. Let's just get Paul. (laughs) Paul, he calls up Paul McCartney. He comes in, plays him the riff one time. No, he plays him the riff twice. They're in the studio. He, Dave plays him the plays him the song twice, and then he goes in and does it in like two takes. Amazing, amazing. Or it I might mean, have been that he played it one time oh, and then he did it in two takes. Either way, that sounds city relationship he, really worked for him. It really did. They have a they have, like Dave and Paul McCartney have a bond, and it is so cool to have Paul McCartney drum on one of your songs. And it oh, really, please. I got to be honest. You know, like having written, like if you were given the the thing, I don't think Taylor Hawkins would have given you that same drum sound. And it is very, it does honestly feel like a like Wings. It does feel like the band, like any of the tracks from Band on the Run. Like that's the drummer yeah. they got. And Paul McCartney would let you know he is not a seasoned drummer. He is able to hold his own behind a kit. McCartney one, two, and the most recent three feature him drumming so So his band on the run so does band on the run so you know he can drum but he has said himself nothing beyond like he 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 said beyond that i'm gonna go to a more experienced person behind the kit but the fact that you can say i my name is taylor hawkins and paul mccartney is going to do drums on my song and your career right there you're set you're done you've done it all honestly this is I think this is the best song on, on the record. And I am so happy that it is because I think that Taylor Hawkins should sing this at every show. Like, I don't think that there's another I think it's a song. part of every show at this point. So far it has been, but I don't think that they should replace, like, I don't know if you could replace this with anything else. Like I, I can't imagine what better song Taylor Hawkins is going to write. That's going to take this one off the rotation. I know, I know. You know it's, unless, it's like, yeah. There, like, there's no way. Like, unless you, you, the only way you get it, you add another song that Taylor Hawkins sings is if you remove the cover or if you take another greatest hit from Dave off. You know that Dave's singing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a high bar. <laughs> How do you get higher than that? Yeah. And then we go into the following track, which I think is another favorite of yours, Andrew. The line. The line is a really cool song. This was the third single off the album. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. I love the I love the intensity. I love the guitar work. I think it's a really cool song. I mean, not much more to say than that. It's very melodic. It still has a lot of great rock elements in it. Um, it uh, it's it, it hits all the right points. It's it is a great Foo Fighters song. I think because you come off of Sunday Rain into this, you can't help but be happy about it. Yeah. I mean. Sunday Rain is just, it's amazing, the history behind it. Yeah. Um, but the line is fantastic. And then it leads into uh, the title track, Concrete and Gold. Which has an incredible feature on it. Sean Stockman of Boys to Men doing, it's, he is the, or like the choir that does all of those backing vocals behind Dave. That just like. Him. Just him. They just looped it. They just kind of like layered and layered and layered, which is excellent work on Greg Kirsten's point. Mm-hmm. He was recording and they were chatting. This record was, uh, you know, they kind of talked about how, you know, it was a lot of long days. They would hang out and barbecue like outside the studio. They just hang out and, you know, drink and then come up with things. And that's how people like Justin Timberlake, you know, ended up on this record. Right. But the same thing, Sean Stockman's, recording something he's like hey you know they're like hey that's the guy from boys to men and he's like hey i love you guys you're really fun can i sing on a song and he's like and dave's thinking i've got the slow dirgy heavy thing well it's just like i've got an idea why don't you sing on this and he probably was like oh he'll sing like one line or something he's like hold on i got another idea i got another idea just play it back play it back and he layer 40 vocals so beautiful it's really beautiful yeah this is another example of like where the concept of 
I'm going to make something heavy but poppy is where you're kind of getting that fun clash, right? This is the this is the the, the pet sounds layering and layering and layering of vocal harmonies mm-hmm. with the you know noisiest you know distorted thing you can make. If Sonic Highways was the most prepared album they've made in recent memory, Concrete and Gold is one of the most unprepared sort of fun backyard events that they've put together. The, yeah. the different influences that come in and create these sounds like on Concrete and Gold or the La La La's by JT, it's just, it's so cool how this album start to finish features some interesting tidbit of information or feature that makes it a little more than just a a traditional album recorded in a studio um, that was originally not Dave's uh, first idea. He wanted to you know do something even bigger and better, but I think he accomplished bigger and better by doing it over at East West in LA. That is the end of album proper. There is a B side, however, but this is a different B side than one we've ever talked about before. That is very true. But before we get to it, because as we always do, before we touch on B-sides... We rank our discographies. We rank. We are now fully caught up. We have reached the end of the 2010s trilogy. Oh, my gosh. Of records. (laughs) We're nine albums in. We've also listened to The Greatest Hits, and we've listened to St. Cecilia. And we've listened to all the B-sides, with the exception of the one that we'll talk to in a second. But, Peter... How do you rank the nine mm. as of today until two days from now? How do you rank their full discography of albums? Here's my ranking. Number one is still the same. It's going to be Wasting Light from 2011. Number two is The Color and the Shape. Number three, 1995's Foo Fighters. Number four is going to be Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. Number five, In Your Honor. Number six, Sonic Highways, where I had it last time. Number seven, Concrete and Gold. Number eight, There's Nothing Left to Lose. And number nine, One by One. That's my ranking. I say that because I've had much more recent history with it, Concrete and Gold is above Nothing Left to Lose and One by One. But I still like Sonic Highways a little bit better. But now I'd like to know what you think, Andrew. I think our rankings differ maybe a lot on this one. I think our rankings at this point, you know, it's really interesting as we talk about this because they started off being pretty much exactly the same. And then somewhere around 10 years in, they start to differ a little bit. And then now they're very different. We completely- We're not very different. They're, they're pretty different. So yeah, let's do this. So with the number one spot, a virtual tie for number one, for number one, actually, but I put the color and the shape above wasting light. Okay. Keep that the, you know, deep fan of things like Everlong. Everlong probably is the reason why wasting light beats it out. I did, you know, I spent more time there, a little bit more time there than on wasting light, but wasting light is absolutely one of their best records. Yeah. That's Can't what I argue with it being a number one by anybody's means, but number three is the self-titled Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Number four is There Is Nothing Left to Lose, ah. which has jumped up a lot in the previous years. But I'd say, yeah. Number five is In Your Honor, mm-hmm. followed by Echo Silence, Patience, Grace. Number seven is One by One. Oh, I'm going to tell you why. Because I do think, yes, there are certain songs that it's not necessarily their best record. We, we've talked about this right. at length. And you can see that even in the 2000s bracket, it's still at the bottom of that trilogy. Yeah. What really pushes it over is that of the handful, like one, I've spent a lot of time with it, and two, some of those songs are top-tier songs. All My Life is a top-tier song. Mm-hmm. Times Like These is one of their best songs. Like probably my favorite song of theirs is times like yeah. these. Yeah. And that's what beats out the most, the two most recent ones with concrete and gold, just edging out Sonic highways. Hmm. I wouldn't have necessarily said that 
you know, two years ago when this record first came out or three years ago when this record came out. But in this time, I've gone to appreciate, you know, the what they were doing, Greg Kirsten's work. And so I do like Sonic Highways. I don't, as I've said, Sonic Highways, including the documentary, pushes up to a top tier release of Dave Grohl's work. I agree. As a Foo Fighters album, it is the it is I think the least successful. That being said, I love all of them. I mean, right? that, there's none that go below a B for no, me. No, of course not. But that is how we rank them. Uh, if you have a ranking and that you would like to share with us, if you want to argue why in your honor should be higher than all others. If you want to argue why one by one is, you know, underrated, let us know at music on Subpod on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Tell us, we'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe we'll let's share them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that one B side. It's got an interesting story to it. It does. It is soldier it is a really cool song. It is a, is really interesting because it was supposed to be on the album. It was released as part of the seven inch uh, collection for Planned Parenthood. And based on some research that some fans were able to pull together, there is a version of this that was supposed to have it have soldier on concrete and gold. It was supposed to be a 12 track album. And here is how it would have gone. We talked about it being a three-sided LP. Uh, the fourth side was just like an etching. Yep. But here's how it would have been. Sides. So side A would have been T-shirt, run, make it right. The Skies and Neighborhood would have started the B side, followed by la da and Dirty Water. Arrows would have started side C, where you would have had Arrows, Happily Ever After, Sunday Rain, followed by Soldier on the D side with the line and concrete and gold. So you have, if you're listening to it not on vinyl, you're going from Sunday Rain into Soldier, into the line, into concrete and gold. Very interesting. Yes. One of the things I think is most interesting about it is that, you know, they pulled this song you know, for a Planned Parenthood release. And they didn't have, like, they didn't really have any unreleased stuff, you know? Here's one B-side that was supposed to be on the record. They're like, hey, we're doing a, you know, a thing to support money for Planned Parenthood. You know, Dave, do you got anything? And he's like, no, but I want to do something for you guys. I'll just take this song off. And it's a great song. It's not like it's a bad song or like a, it's not like a throwaway. It doesn't feel like it doesn't belong here. Right. No, I, it was made originally to be there. What I do think though, is I would have, if I was to argue it, I probably would have put a soldier between the line and concrete and gold. I think it fits a little bit better there. Okay. Okay. You're very protective of Sunday rains placement. I think I, I just think that it's a really like, I, I, I think it's a highlight on the record. But well, it is. It is. Yes. But what is your thoughts on Soldier? The first thing that came to mind when you listen to the second half of the song around the bridge, the guitar or the bass, depending on what exactly is being used, is mimicking the same exact chord progression and almost the same exact chords as I should have known from Wasting Light. Huh. That dun, 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 like that, that, that part. That hook and I should have known. Listen back to the bridge of Soldier. It's the same thing, or nearly identical. That's so really interesting. When I first heard this, I thought this is not a, it's not a bad song. If it made the record, I don't think I think anything any different of it than I do currently. But it would always stick in my mind that that part is exactly the same. Huh. I would never be able to get past that. So you wouldn't necessarily take like Happy Ever After off and put in soldier in its place or something not not like that only because well i don't think it fits in that spot i agree with you and where maybe you would shift it but who knows maybe dave heard what i heard and said oh shoot i think i copied myself 
think I, I plagiarized. I think, I, that off. I, think yeah. I plagiarized myself. I got to get this out of here because it's only been at that point six years between albums, and maybe people will notice. Yeah, and think differently of of the song. But it's a great song. It had great intentions and was used in a great way, and uh, definitely worth a listen. It's a single on all streaming services. Very easy to find. So yeah, highly recommend that you do listen to it. But Andrew, we did it. We made it. Here we, we are. Everything. We did every single song, just about every single song. We've listened to, I think, every original, almost every original Foo Fighters song. That we know of to this point. Today is, just so everyone knows, we can timestamp it. It's Sunday, January 24th, 2021. Medicine and Midnight comes out February 5th, but we've listened to everything we know about the Foo Fighters to date. So, Andrew, I will ask you the big, big question that I've been so wanting to ask you this entire time. Having listened to it all now in such a short amount of time, what do you think? It's pretty great. It's a pretty great. <laughs> it's so, it's interesting having gone through this journey. The, what you, what you hear in 1995 and then going 25 years later is at this point, just, you know, you if you're listening to this in order as we have at this point, shame, shame. No Son of Mine, Waiting on a War have come out. You would not think that the band that made Weenie Beanie or For All the Cows or This Is a Call or Alone and Easy Target is the same band that's writing Shame Shame. But it is. And it's been really cool to watch this you know, transition of sound build and evolve with these roughly the same set of guys right we've got dave dave's been there since 95 you know nate joined like right after the release of the you know in 95 you know pat's been there on and off since 95 taylor's been there since 97 uh chris shiflett's been there since right like 99 these guys have been like on this journey for a pretty long time yeah, working out these, you know, working on playing stuff that's ranged from essentially the baton being passed of Nirvana to, you know, this like funky hard rock still, but like definitely poppy anthemic stuff. I it, yeah yeah still I mean. A great band. Of course. I mean, I completely agree. Uh, I have done a lot of research in all of these episodes. My YouTube recommendations are essentially Foo Fighters at this point. That's how many videos I've watched in the last maybe two months that we've been doing this project. And there are two things that came up in all of this that I want to highlight now because they are I think, really great microcosms of how we feel about the band and what the band represents. In a 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper, Anderson is sitting down with Nate, Pat, and Chris. And Anderson looks at Nate and he says, this is rock music. And you guys have said all along that you have very very specific influences and we can hear a lot of that in your music. So what makes the Foo Fighters sound unique? What is the Foo Fighters sound? And Nate said, you know, the, the Foo Fighters sound, not to, not to be derivative, but it's simple. But uh, and, he, and he, he defended himself. He explained. He said... As a musician, you're inclined to create complicated music by inserting uh, an uh, insane number of notes and arrangements and chords that make it sound like you are operating on a different plane than everybody else. Everyone wants their own version of of Giant Steps by John Coltrane. You know, they, they want their own mm-hmm. kind of complicated mountain yeah. to climb. But Nate says, I may present a complicated bass piece to Dave and Dave will say, cut out half these notes and you've got the same feeling still. What Dave Grohl has accomplished with Foo Fighters is that he has allowed more people into rock music because he's broken down the barriers of what makes it sometimes a little abrasive. The The influence that he has, like Motorhead and Black Sabbath, um, at times, a lot of their music can be really, really dark and intense and 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 operate in only a space of 16th notes with double bass drum. And sometimes and you know you have to take a step back and say hold on i can't listen to that every minute of the day 
Foo Fighters has learned from that, adapted that, and been able to become a successful working band for 25 years as a result of that. And so that's remarkable, number one. And number two, what it speaks to is what a, co- a comment that I saw in one of the streaming services in a little bio about Foo Fighters. They, they refer to Foo Fighters as the most reliable rock band working today. And I think reliable is a perfect word because think about it. Anytime you hear the Foo Fighters are performing either a concert nearby or on TV for SNL, they're guaranteed to give you a fantastic show every single time, but at the same time, be so amenable to the audience that they're serving. I mean, Dave Grohl has has been featured on kids shows because his kids love them, you know, and, and he's able to do that while also do talk show press tours with his mom when she releases a new book while at the same time doing you know a, a series of of tours of of different you know dive bars for for you know sonic highways i mean they 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 fit any sort of puzzle piece they're asked to fit into and yet still retain their own identity it's remarkable and 25 years i believe is just scratching the surface of where they're going to go i think they have many more years left I hope they have many more years left, though I don't know what the sound will be. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you also, Andrew, um, what do you think the Foo Fighters are going to sound like in the next 25 years? That's a great question. I was thinking about this, you know, going into this record, the Concrete and Gold record. Yeah. There's a certain sound that they worked out and have now like taken on the road with this, you know, backing vocal group it's gone to a point where, you know, you started off with one guy playing whatever instruments he could and it grew from there. And it's, they're now three guitarists deep and that's not even including the guests who solo on the, on the, on their other songs, like exotic highways, right? You have two vocalists. It's not just a Dave Grohl singing project anymore. You have a keyboardist, a dedicated keyboardist, not just one for occasional whenever they need you in the studio. Like he tours with them fully is a part of the band. It, it kind of grew in a way that reminds me of something like the Rolling Stones. Mm. Uh, and they're a band who are still performing today. Uh, you know, there's, you know, right now there's only four official members, but you can't say there are four members when you go to see them at MetLife stadium or, you know, the, you know, the O2 and they are, you know, you know, this, you know, the stadium is filled and there's, you know, 20 people on stage because they've got three percussionists and, you know, it's, you know, several, you know, two bassists, two drummers or something like that. You know, it's a big production. It's a big sound. And I think thinking about, you know, the Rolling Stones as a band that's been around for 60 years ish at this point yeah they're a band that has you know evolved their sound and it's changed you haven't always expected it but there's been a core of what they are as you've said uh, about the Foo Fighters and that you know they're still they still put on a great show and they're still worth seeing even though you know they're you know in their 70s or 80s and, you know, Keith Richard will live, you know, for another thousand years, almost <laughs> certainly. But that's what I think about when I think of like, you know, you think of like the big names of rock music and you think of, you know, the Beatles who obviously aren't playing together. But, you know, you think of the Stones, you think of the Who who are still playing together or, you know, or Eric Clapton. I think of, I think of these big artists like like that and how you know, their sound has evolved and they've grown sonically, but there's a core of who you know that they are and who they sound like, and they still make a great show and they're still incredible performers. And that's what I think about when I think of what the Foo Fighters will be in the future. I think, and to an extent, they already are kind of seen as these you know, elder statesmen of rock, as we've mentioned before, when we've talked about Sonic Highways and Wasting Light. And that's where I think the Foo Fighters will be and already are to an extent, but that's where I think I see them when we're going to the July 4th, you know, 2045 
50th anniversary show oh at goodness. DC, you know, in, you know, I'm trying to think of where they could possibly play the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. You're playing a show that is, you know, million, you know, million people. The whole mall is the entire mall is filled people. Yep. And they're still playing times like these. And it has, you know, seven more people in the band and maybe Dave's in the throne again. Well, that would be sad if he, eh, maybe he's there because he can't stand up on his own. No, but here's the thing. Even if he is, even if he like, I mean, I mean, Mick Jagger is still still rocking out. He doesn't need to sit in a throne. But if you needed to sit in a throne for some reason, amazing, he can. Dave could rock it. He could sit there in the throne as we've seen in person and put on an incredible show, even though he can't run. Ah, but even and if he can all the better and i would also like to caution people who love music to appreciate this band sounds like a really extreme thing for me to say as as just a fan of them you have to love the foo fighters i'm not saying love the foo fighters if you love music if you love the idea of discovering music of learning how to play and perform music and make it into either a really cool hobby or a potential career if you are to be so gifted the foo fighters you know for unfortunately i would say are kind of in a league of their own at this point um i said during wasting light they're looking around the room and there's less people in the room um, the only people really left doing what they do. And by what they do, I mean, they are a rock band, a hard rock band performing on instruments at the, at almost the peak of their talent at, at their instruments. Some people consider Dave and Taylor to be the best drummers of our generation. Um, those types of bands don't exist. When we went to Cal Jam, the three of us, you, you, Marissa and I, back in 2018, I saw the full bill for that festival. And I thought, there really isn't anybody here who matches their level of popularity and reach. There really isn't. And I challenge any of them to ever reach that level. Now, it could be because of public opinion. I don't know if there will be another Foo Fighters. I don't know if we'll ever see another iteration of a band that what you see on stage is the entirety of the, the, of, of the sound. That there isn't a computer somewhere plugged in that's playing a little extra. Um, so... If you're a fan of music, if you really want to understand at least the last 25 years of music, take special note of Foo Fighters, understand that this is the last of an endangered species, in my opinion. And as long as they keep going, this will always remain a part of music, but it's going to be very, it's going to be a very long time until nostalgia considers this something to bring back or another band like this becomes as popular. The, the dynamic of music has changed fundamentally in 25 years. And that's okay. Music should evolve and change all the time. And I'm a big fan of it. You and I listen to a lot of different music other than the Foo Fighters. But doing this podcast has reminded me that there really isn't a lot of other music like this being made today. And so the fact that we get Medicine at Midnight, we're very lucky to. The fact that we get anything hard rock like this from a big mainline top billing festival band, we're very lucky that, to have that. So just, just be grateful for it. Be happy every time you listen to it, you know, because this is, this is really it, in my opinion. I don't think there's a lot. You, you mentioned that there's, you know, hitting the, like all three of those points. I don't think there's anyone else that hits all three of those points. You might right. have hard, you might have, you know, like accessible, but they may not be big. You know, they might have big and hard, but you're not going to have necessarily the wide range accessibility right this is definitely a band that is unique um there aren't too many even bands that are sort of contemporaries like pearl jam are still around but have lost a little bit more of their pull not as big as something like foo fighters are so yeah i give credit to dave because he keeps pushing the band to keep making music you know he keeps telling them maybe he did it on purpose the last you know 
couple decades, the the 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. We have to put out three albums this decade. We have to tour on those for the you know, the years in between. Like we, we gotta, gotta push, work. we gotta push what we're doing in the studio. We can't do the same thing. We gotta try yeah. something new. Let's try making a documentary. Let's explore this thing. Let's try, you know, let's let's have a pop producer try to keep yeah. things from becoming stale. Yeah, they are. It's one of the reasons why I like them so much because I might not necessarily love each record immediately when it comes out, or I might not love every song, or I might not love every concept, but I'm always interested. They're always keeping me interested. There's always something interesting to, to see in their music and to learn and to be excited about. There's always, there's always at least one song on, on each record that I'm genuinely excited about that becomes a, a regular listen. Yeah. And I get very excited to hear when they play live. Yes. Yeah. Because like I said, they are reliable. I also want to ask you really quickly, has your opinion of Dave Grohl changed at all as a result of this experience? No, I have always had high regard for Dave and I've never had any opinion that they were that like it went weird or I didn't like something they did or that they like, Oh, you know, the concept of him being like a benevolent tyrant has recently come out in interviews. Don't think it's a bad thing. It started with him. I, I, I don't have any, like, I, I like that. He's keeps pushing ideas. I sometimes think, you know, he has these like solo ideas. He has these like, individual ideas but it always kind of he always tries to like when he's really focused in on a thing it's usually Foo Fighters and I like yeah I have liked that there's a you know and not and not that it's necessarily and I, I do really love that in the last few years especially it's felt a little less like a Dave Grohl solo project especially since you know like since Echo Silence I think like since Wasting Light in the last 10 years the band has really felt like a band and not just like this is a guy who's written songs and you guys around me are going to play them. It has felt a little bit more like a, there's been contribution from yeah. all parties, whether it's all five or all six. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I think Alex bear said it really best um, it, during the wasting light conversation. He said, Dave Grohl is a really demanding musician. He expects a lot from himself and the people around him. And he considers Foo Fighters a super group. He does not consider them a makeshift gathering of people that only fit his style. He's asked that he work with people who have their own style. And maybe it took 10, 15 years for them to really click. Maybe it took a number of albums to make, to make that happen, but it has happened. This is now a band. Dave Grohl does not want to be in anything other than a band. The only thing he's ever put out by himself in the time that he's been with the Foo Fighters is play, which was really just a way to promote the idea of children trying to pick up an instrument, learn how to play an instrument and show his, his talents and how they range on different, different instruments. He's maybe done some side projects like them, Cricket Vultures and Probot and other, other things with other, uh, other artists, but he's always liked the idea of being with somebody. In the same 60 Minutes interview I saw, uh, Anderson Cooper said, do you like um, practicing by yourself? He said, I hate it. He said, I always want someone else in the room to bounce ideas off of or just to have another person on another instrument to see how what I do connects with another person. Um, so he'll always be with a band. And I think as demanding as he is, he's always going to understand that you know his best stuff is done through teamwork. And teamwork makes the dream work. I 100% agree. And even thinking about that, I... I, I feel the same way. I'm a drummer, musician. I don't like practicing by myself. I find it not really the most pleasant experience to just sit there and bang on drums. I have since, I don't know, since high school, since I've been friends with our guest, Brett Morris from the Color and the Shape episode, I have been playing with other musicians, playing Foo Fighters songs because it, feels good it feels better to it's a music is a collaborative it's a it's an experience that is shared whether it's shared with the people playing the music or shared with the audience that you're playing to 
Right. And I think Dave gets that, which is why he, which is why Medicine Midnight was delayed because he wanted to take it on tour initially. You know, he wants to play live for people. He wants to play his songs. He wants to play the Foo Fighters songs to fans because the fans love it. And there's an experience shared. Yep. So, yeah. And so we just want to simply say thank you, Foo Fighters, for putting out 25 years of fantastic music. It has shaped the way we look at music, and we have loved doing this discography experience from beginning to end, but it's not over. This is the end of what we know about the Foo Fighters. What's to come is Medicine at Midnight releasing this Friday. So come back to this channel, Music Unsubscribe, for our full breakdown of that album. As soon as it drops, we'll be listening to it live. We'll be commenting on it, as you will be. You won't know any more than we do. And so this is new territory for all of us, but we hope that you've enjoyed listening to what we have discussed thus far. We highly encourage you to listen to all this music and listen to the discographies of any artist that you find interesting. You'll learn a lot by listening to all this stuff in such quick, quick succession. Yeah. Um, and a quick reminder of where you can listen to all this great content, search music unsubscribed on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, Google podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. That is where all of our content lives. Also follow us at music unsub pod on Twitter and Instagram. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what you love about this band, what music you love. Maybe if there's another artist you love so much, they will do their discography too. Who knows, but there's plenty more to come on walking after food. My name is Peter. My name is Andrew. Thank you so much for listening. The next episode is going to be the brand new album, Menace in Midnight, and we hope you enjoy it. We hope we enjoy it. We'll discuss it all while it happens live. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.